Our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew in the 21st chapter, beginning with the first verse. When they, when they had come near to Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and you immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what has been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a, foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. The very lar- a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And then from Philippians 2, beginning with the fifth verse. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but who emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God so high, also highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, so that in the na- at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. You still out there with me? It's good to hear your voices. It's wonderful to stand uh, up here and, and hear uh, your words come out in words of song and, and in, in response to things that are, you are asked to participate in worship too. Uh, that's, that's one of the advantages pastors have that most people don't get. And we also want to thank everybody for being here, whether you're in the house or you're worshiping with us online. Let's take a moment this morning to wave to our folks so that everyone can feel that family connection and know that wherever we are, whether at home or listening later on in the week or here in the sanctuary on Sunday morning, we are part of the Good Shepherd United Methodist Church family. Um, If you're online, please remember to comment in the comment section so that we know that you're here. And uh, if you're here in the house, it's all right. You can shout out. It's, but for those of you uh, who don't know, I'm Pastor Regina, and I'm looking forward to spending the next few minutes with you. The opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. Ellie Weasel, a, a Holocaust survivor, is attributed with this quote. Weasel, the 1986 Nobel Peace Prize winner, spent time in both Auschwitz and Buchenwald, These were concentration camps, and he spent time there as a young boy. He saw and experienced firsthand the results of indifference to hate, prejudice, and violence to others. In his book entitled Night, 
We read horrific accounts of life in a concentration camp mixed with glimmers of hope, small displays of faith, and God's hidden blessings in the midst of great suffering. The Covenant School tragedy that our neighboring community experienced this week is a reminder of how life can change in an instant and innocence can be lost through the action of others. Our collective desensitization to violence, our indifference to preventative solutions and hardness of heart that comes with mounting episodes of evil in our world can lead to deeper tragedy. We as current bystanders must discover ways to step up and actively find solutions, serve humanity in the midst of suffering, and love above all else even when it's difficult or we simply don't want to. Followers of Christ are called into these difficult moments to speak truth in love, strength to power, and grace to all. Today's encounter with a bystander named Simon of Serene and, and Jesus reminds us that even when it's least expected, we are called into service. This service may be in the midst of extreme tragedy or glorious victory. Whenever we're called to step up to the plate, we must be ready. We never know when our actions may seemingly be something in which we don't want to be involved, but ultimately leads to assisting in a great act of humility and triumph. Ash Wednesday seems so long ago, doesn't it? But it began our travels along this dusty road leading to Calvary. We've encountered folks along the way who, who appeared to be insignificant, but upon a closer look, took, they, they contributed significantly to the, Easter, to the Easter story. Their contributions have great importance leading up to the resurrection. Our chance meetings along the way have deepened our understanding of the empty tomb and will enhance our experience at the resurrection. Simon the leper and a sinful woman reminded us that everyone has lessons to teach and that everyone is significant in Jesus' eyes. From them we learn that actions done in love are never insignificant, that broken individuals can be redeemed, and that God welcomes and claims all persons as children. Malchus taught us restoration, humility, and a sense of purpose. We discovered that a touch from Jesus can redirect our woundedness and heal us. We learned that disarming situations with love and living with a greater purpose is better than reaction and retaliation. We became empathetic with the victimizer and learned not to take on the role of a victim. As we forgive others and surrender, we experience God's presence in our suffering and are reminded just how much we are loved and healed by God. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, the two great pretenders, taught us that power, prestige, and wealth are not the greatest characteristics to our identity. Taking a risk when things seem tough is a greater challenge than living double lives. Risking it all has great rewards when choosing to do the right thing. By breaking with our past, displaying great courage, living a public faith, investing in what we believe and expecting to sacrifice, we become authentic followers of Jesus. We are reminded that pretenders, fakes, and frauds and failures are all welcome at the empty tomb and that God is not a pretender and that our hope is that others see Jesus in us. Barabbas, Pilate, and Jesus showed us the true meaning of freedom. 
Pilate and Barabbas were imprisoned by outside forces which blocked their freedom. But Jesus was free despite his confined circumstances. Knowing who we are in Christ and to whom we belong secures our freedom from within. The centurion's encounter with Jesus at the foot of the cross last week demonstrated how difficult it is to live and serve both good and evil. It's not possible. Good will always triumph over evil. This fact is the message of Easter. It is a message we learn along our journey when we are observant and we're willing to listen. Once we encounter Jesus, power, people, passions, our past, our place, our identity, all take on new perspectives. And our relationship with Jesus becomes intertwined with who we are and we will never be the same. Today's an interesting day. It's that Sunday when we experience both celebration and agony. We celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry in Jerusalem, but we turn our focus toward Calvary. It's the Sunday before we enter Holy Week, a week that takes us down this road to Calvary. We have spent a lot of time during Lent meeting and traveling companions whose, whose encounters with Jesus influence this story of the resurrection in very unexpected ways. But before we meet our last companion on the road to the cross, let's not miss recognizing those bit players who contributed to Jesus' triumphant entry. We have two disciples who followed Jesus' instructions to secure the donkey. We we are introduced to an unnamed owner of a donkey who who allowed the disciples to take that donkey. (laughs) Then we have the donkey itself, who did the job of a beast of burden to fulfill ancient prophecy. We have the folks along the road who shouted Hosanna and laid their cloaks along the path that Jesus and his entourage took into the city. All of these players contributed to the celebration of a king whose kingdom was different from the king they were expecting. A kingdom not of this world. A kingdom of love and not might. All of these individuals and one beast of burden enabled us to glimpse the kingdom that is long awaited but not yet here. We learn that celebration requires many people. Sometimes we celebrate without knowing why or the the outcomes of our actions. And celebration can have unintended consequences but are necessary for the greater result. Now let's not go too quickly past this celebratory entrance to the, to the, uh, that set these next few days in motion. Let us say together, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. In such a few short days, the shouts of Hosanna change to shouts of crucify him. How quickly things change then and even in our world today. Let us ask ourselves, are we a part of the crowd, praising one day and condemning the next? Are we a part of the solution or a part of the problem? Can we make a difference by playing our bit part or do we sit idly by and watch the events unfold? Today we're going to meet that next bit player on the road to the cross, a bystander to the crucifixion, named Simon of Serene. 
Given the events of this week, it's fitting that we encounter someone who really didn't want to be a part of what was happening around him. Simon is, is mentioned briefly in Scripture as he, he's deployed to carry Jesus' cross when Jesus becomes unable. Simon was an ordinary man, probably in the city to celebrate the Passover. He became a man who, in the words of Burkhart, participated in the greatest adventure of all time, God's unfolding work of redemption. Now, we don't really know a lot about Simon. We, we don't know if he's a follower of Christ or that if he had any connection with the other two thieves that were being crucified with Jesus. Most likely, he was just in the city simply taking care of his own business when he was commandeered to carry the cross of Jesus. If it were not for the command of the Roman soldier, Simon would have co- continued to watch uh, the events of the day and move on with his life. Simon would have been like most of us, spectators in the life around us. Simon's forced encounter with Jesus changed his focus. He had other plans for the day, but his plans changed. Simon's expectations for the day were not to participate in a gruesome execution, yet his, his participation was a disguised opportunity. There, there was nothing in, in uh, carrying the cross for Simon. It was risky and had all the appearances that Simon was complicit in the crucifixion. Simon's experience took his day and maybe his life into a very different direction. He didn't know how long this change of direction would take or or the end result of his participation. Like most of us, a change in direction meant a change in momentum, a threat to planned successes, and no guarantee that things would end up better than if we had maintained our course. Simon really had no choice but to carry Jesus' cross. This encounter changed Simon from a bystander to an active participant. This encounter can change us as well. Simon was changed from a bystander to an active participant as a Roman soldier found Simon. Now whether he found him by chance or because he was physically able to carry this cross or or maybe he was just the next available person along the road, the soldier discovered Simon, but Simon discovered Christ. Simon discovered Christ in the worst moments of Christ's waning earthly life. This version of Jesus may have been the only version that Simon ever met. Simon's encounter with Jesus is much like our own. We're wandering down life's road and and we're we're headed somewhere else when we are found by Christ. We We may have been looking for Jesus. We may have been running from Jesus. We may have encountered Jesus in the lowest and most broken places in our lives. And we may have met Jesus in an instant. Or maybe it took us a lifetime. But when we met Jesus, everything changed. Simon was seized by the Roman soldier, but was captivated by the moment, maybe because of fear, but possibly because of being riveted by the sheer presence of an innocent, suffering man. When we met Jesus, we became captivated by the grace, the love, and the mercy that he offers in the brokenness of our world and the tragedy around us. We catch a glimpse of a world of great passion, love, and adventure. We are introduced to a world of truth and became spellbound by wonder. Simon was compelled to carry the cross and took action. 
We are compelled to follow Christ not out of threat or fear, but out of a deep longing to participate in an adventure that is not like any other. An adventure that draws us into a world of grace and mercy and love that cannot be matched. We are told in Scripture that Simon took up the cross, but he didn't lift it up alone. As Christians, we are called to lift up our crosses, but not to bear them alone. Our crosses vary depending on our circumstances. Some crosses are easier to bear than others, but no cross is meant to be borne alone. When we take up our crosses, we must die to everything else. To bear the cross of Jesus, Simon had to lay down whatever he might have been carrying, literally and emotionally. He had to give up his previous destination. He had to surrender his time. He had to spend energy to physically carry the cross. Simon did not carry the cross and hang on to anything else. We too must lay down whatever it is that we are clinging to in order to take up the cross of Christ. Our selfish priorities, our dreams, our desires, all must be set aside to grasp the cross. Now, taking up the cross does not mean that we cannot have priorities, dreams, and desires. It simply means that when we choose to follow Jesus and surrender to his will, things we once held dear will take on new meaning and and possibly require change. We began to invest in God-sized dreams, invest in the lives of others, invest in God's glory and not our own. We don't have to give up everything to take up the cross and follow Christ, but we are called to give up anything that keeps us from following Christ and acting on Christ's call in our lives. Scripture never mentions Simon again after carrying Jesus' cross. There's mention of Rufus and Alexander, which we think are Simon's sons, uh, later on in the early church. But Simon moved from a nameless, faceless crowd and became that active participant in the greatest story ever told. Many of us are bystanders along our faith journey. It doesn't have to be that way. We can step into the story at any time. I suspect that before Simon reached Golgotha, he was tired thirsty, and longing to just get back to Jerusalem. We too, we can get overwhelmed by the burdens of life, the brokenness of the world, and and all the tragic distractions of life. We must cling to God's truth, be driven by God's love, love God and draw our strength from God's powerful presence. God refuses to be a bystander in human history. May we refuse to be bystanders as well. As we enter into this holiest of weeks, may we remember the celebratory entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, experience the passions that the next few days hold, and look toward the wonder of an empty tomb. Rob Burkhardt attended a small Palm Sunday Mass at a federal correctional institute. When he walked into the large educational wing that doubled as a chapel, he noticed a large banner that read, Welcome to St. Max. Burkhart was not familiar with St. Max, so he asked one of the inmates about him, and the inmate was surprised that Burkhart wasn't aware of St. Max's story. I thought everyone knew about St. Max. He He was murdered in Auschwitz. He was a real Christian. 
Burkhart mulled over the, the inmate's statement as he drove home, and when he got there, he began to research St. Max's story. Father Maximilian Kolbe, a Polish priest, was sent to Auschwitz for his stand against the invaders. On March 4, 1941, the camp's commandant chose ten prisoners to be starved to death as punished for a presumed escape of another prisoner. One of the ten begged for his life for the sake of his wife and children. Colby stepped forward and, and offered to take the place and joined the others who were condemned to this slow, agonizing death. Colby prayed with and comforted the starving men and performed last rites when the time came. On August 14, 1941, Colby, the last of the ten, was executed by lethal injection and cremated like so many before him and after him. The next week when Burkhart encountered the inmate, he, he asked him if he found out about St. Max. Yes, it's an amazing story. He was a great man. But why do you call him a real Christian? What do you mean? The inmates reply, Hundreds of men are willing to let other men starve to death. They just stood there, glad it wasn't them. But Max did something about it. Most people are more interested in themselves than anybody else. I was. It's why all of us are locked up in here. Burkhardt often thinks about his encounter with St. Max. He summarizes his thoughts this way. A real Christian couldn't be a passive bystander watching a suffering, dying world. A real Christian is compelled to act in ways that honor Christ and serve others. Jesus meant for his followers to step into life, willingly sacrifice and make a difference in this world. Perhaps there's no such thing as an innocent bystander. As we enter into this week, may we all no longer be satisfied by the bystanders in this world that needs to see a love in action and sacrifice for the greater good. As we come to our communion this morning, May we keep that in mind that this meal represents a great sacrifice, but it also gives us the opportunity to participate and allow Christ to enter us. So you, you can find uh, the communion liturgy on the screen on, the, uh, on page 13 if you'd like to follow us in the hymnal. Christ the Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. You have rebelled against our love, and we have not heard the glut. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give our, our thanks to the Lord, our God. 
It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth. In love you made us for yourself. And when we have fallen into sin and became subject to evil and death, your love remains steadfast. You bid your faithful people cleanse their hearts and prepare with joy for the Easter feast that renewed by your word and sacraments and fervent in prayer and works of justice and mercy, we may come to the fullness of grace that you have prepared for those who love you. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord. God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent in the fullness of time to redeem the world. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in our likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death even death on a cross. He took upon himself our sin and death and offered himself a perfect sacrifice for the sin of the world. By his baptism and his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night that he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ, offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes at final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit, in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Now, as a people of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If those who are assisting in uh, serving will come forward, please.
my intention this morning. We will take a piece of bread, break it off, you will dip it in a cup, and the altar is always open. We have gluten-free options for those of you who need that, and we also have single-serving options if you're not comfortable with teaching. So come now and enjoy the feast.
Let us go from this place with a celebratory heart and knowing what lies ahead. But let us share the love of Christ with others. Amen.